Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Radically Loved Radio. I'm joined by a very special guest, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to speak to this incredible woman because we've been trying to make this episode happen. And, you know, I just I go back to blame it on 2020, but I'm so excited to finally have it happen. And it just so happens that her book is out now. So I'm so excited to introduce you to Susanna Barkataki. She's joining us today. And the name of her book is called Embrace Yoga's Roots. And we're going to talk all about what that means, especially for those of you who have been studying yoga or just got into yoga. We are going to discuss all about the importance of tradition and being able to fully honor the roots of yoga. So thank you, Susanna, for being here. Yay. I'm so happy to be here with you. This is my clap track because normally when we're in the studio, I can push a button and it's like, ah, but you know, say lovey. Um, so I, I mean, there's so much that I want to dig into with you, but I think just to start, you've done a lot of work around the, uh, to spread awareness about the appropriation of yoga. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was what drew me to want to talk to you because I think it's especially now, right? Mm -hmm. Such an important thing to, to discuss, to learn the difference between appropriation and appreciation and where the draw the line, where we draw the line and just what our role is in general in honoring traditions like yoga um, so yeah, please tell, educate us. Yes. You know, I think the biggest education for me was, you know, I'm Indian, I'm mixed, I'm half white, half Indian, but I grew up in LA and I look like an Indian person. I'm brown skinned, right? So the very things that I was getting made fun of for, like wearing a sari or a salwar kameez or wearing, you know, a tilak or a bindi, a dot on my forehead, or even using Sanskrit when I was a kid and when I was a young person were the things that all of a sudden I saw these teachers around me in LA start to like, like white teachers, let's be real, shoot to success, shoot to fame, be called avant-garde, like hip, forward thinking, cool, and getting all of this, these accolades for doing the very things that, you know, that same year, a couple of years before I had been ridiculed made fun of, or even like physically harmed for. And so I came into studying and understanding cultural appropriation from that very personal place of like, what is going on here? Why are the things that are mine and my family's and part of our culture and have been part of our culture for hundreds and even thousands of years, when you look at Indian culture, it's really, you know, like, 
five to 10,000 years, why are these things now, like when you put on the very same thing with a different, you know, exterior, why is that all of a sudden cool? But for me, it's not, it's actually, um, it's actually something to put down. And so it was from a visceral place and a place of trying to make sense of the world around me that I started to study cultural appropriation and learn about it. And what it pointed me to was you can't really understand cultural appropriation without understanding power, systems of power, systems of oppression, like colonization, like white supremacy, you know, which are big words for people listening. You may or may not you know, those might not, those might be things you think about all the time, but they might be like, whoa, what is that? And how does that relate to my life? And, and how does that relate to yoga? And the last thing I, I want to say is just also for me and for my family, yoga really isn't just something you do on your mat. It's something that you do all day long. It's a way of life and a lifestyle and a way to be, and it's a spiritual practice. And so that's like the most egregious appropriation of yoga that in the West, people are like, I'm gonna go to yoga or I'm gonna do yoga. Well, yoga is really not something that you do, it's something you are. And so that too developed my passion for teaching and educating uh, on, on how to more like be yoga rather than, um, rather than just do it. Yes. Oh, I love that. I, I say the same thing about meditation, mm. that it's not something you do. It's something that you are. It's something that is an experiential um, thing that that happens uh, spontaneously. So for so the inspiration behind writing this book then was this, what you teach this journey that, that you're on. And um I'm just so curious how it's changed for you over the last year, you know, given the, uh, you know, the, the rise of Black Lives Matter and us being at home and being able to have a bigger spotlight shined on, you know, these different power structures, like you're saying, like, how has this evolved for you did when did the did you write the book last year or did you write it this year I wrote it in 20 actually really in 2018 and 2019 and then all through 2020 and this is another like on the DL tip for people uh, it takes a while to make a book right I self-published so I could keep the message what I wanted it to be uh, publishers were like, you'll have to take out those words like white supremacy or colonization. I was like, I can't do that. That's part of what makes this book this book. But absolutely, I just want to say, right, like I grew up in LA like you, and I grew up in the San Fernando Valley uh, in a very truly diverse, although segregated in many ways, high school in Reseda, California, which some people, they know what that means. For other people, it means huh? nothing. Well, for me, it's literally right down the street, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where I was going to school. I was in school with many different folks from different backgrounds, one of whom is Patrice Colors, who's one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, and Mark Anthony Johnson, who's one of the co-founders of Dignity and Power Now, um, some other food justice folks, some other immigration rights folks. So I was like growing up and living at a time when we were all looking at the structures around us and saying like, you are failing us. School is failing us. The school to prison pipeline is trying to cage us. Um, our families are kicking us out for being queer or for, you know, whatever, like standing up. 
And we need to come together and support each other. And so that was the context of my youth, of my teen years, and then my early 20s. So the book really, I think, had its seeds in that time. And that's in like the 90s '90s and, and early 2000s. And because of that, absolutely yes the the uprisings of 2020 um impact my work but my work was the same work you know it's been the same work for two decades and and i think what has been hard for me is like the tragedy that people had to die for others to start paying attention and take this seriously because it's kind of like for a lot of us, we've been here, we've been having these conversations, we've been doing the work, uh, but no one was really listening until the pressure got too high. Um, And and so that, you know, and also as truly as a non-black person of color, I think there's a real responsibility for me and and for other non-black folks of color to like, when all the uprisings happen, I, I shifted to say like, I'm not the one, right? Like when you're coming for yoga and and equity and diversity in yoga, yes. But any other race equity stuff, you need to go to black teachers, black leaders who, who who should be the one to speak on these critical issues. So yeah, my work has changed um, in that I think people are seeing an urgency and a need. The people who, uh, let me just say people of privilege, you know, marginalized folks, we've known that this work is needed all this time. And maybe for some folks who haven't, like I see amongst other South Asians, other Indian folks and Desis, that's what we call Indians and South Asians who live in diaspora. Um, I think there's a feeling of more empowerment to both speak up and say what's wrong and what's not working and also an empowerment to collaborate and to uplift like intersectionally. Mm, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that I mean, that's the ideal, right? Yeah. That's the dream. That that's, the dream. That's, the, that's the work that needs to be done. So what's your feeling on people, you know, out there teaching yoga that aren't from India, that don't even practice with an Indian teacher, don't have the historic reference of where yoga comes from? Yes, that's a great question. I mean, the big thing I say when people ask me, hey, I'm white, should I be teaching yoga? Or, you know, I don't have the the lineage or the background, should I be teaching is ultimately no one can answer that for you. Mm -hmm. I can be here to ask some questions to point people in a certain direction to invite some critical thinking. But you know, my main teacher, Shankarji, and um, he was taught by um, Krishnamurti and some other really deep practitioners in, the, in the, his, the tradition of yoga and Vedic thought. They're always going to say, like, reflect the mirror, kind of like the Buddha did, and say, don't listen to me. Figure this out for yourself. And so ultimately, as a teacher, I have that same role. I'm not a guru, right? So I shouldn't be telling anyone, do this, don't do this. I know my place. My role is an educator. And so what I would say is get educated. One, are you practicing all eight limbs and beyond? So yoga is not just asana, it's ethics, inner codes, like yogi codes, um, pranayama, the breath work, pratyahara, sensory focus, uh, dharana, mindfulness, 
dhyana meditation, samadhi, bliss, joy, freedom, liberation. Are you practicing all those, including maybe other supportive practices, mantra, the sounds, uh, mudra, gesture, drishti, like uh, gazing, focus. There's so many aspects to yoga uh, that, that are not kind of quote unquote popularized that are a really important part of teaching. And so continuing to always be a devoted student and to go deeper and to learn from, from diverse sources, including like South Asian sources, Indian sources. So one, are you practicing the full expanse of yoga? Um, and two, can you deepen in that and share from that? Three, who are your teachers and can you go and learn from or at least uplift, maybe collaborate with South Asian teachers, Desi teachers, um, because even though it happens, right, we shouldn't have people going to, you know, sweat lodges led by non-native folks or First Nations folks. And it's the same thing with yoga, like, okay, you can be from anywhere, but have a connection, you know, maybe be in relationship with teachers who are, are from this, this lineage, this tradition. It's like our ancestral wisdom. I would say yes. those three are, are a good place to start. Yeah, I think that's incredibly sound and encouraging um, statements, you know, yeah. because I feel like that that is part of where we should all start. I mean, I'm in the middle of um, I'm writing a book right now on uh, it's it's about spiritual empowerment and it's mm -hmm. really weaving my story through self-discovery and my experience with learning about uh, mindfulness, about yoga, about critical thinking, about cultivating more discernment, you know, all of these different things. And the invitation is always for people to cultivate more of their own discernment and to really be in a state of knowing what is going to serve your highest good and how that highest good is going to continue to serve others it's not something that is going to be just self-serving like, Oh, this is just for me or, or I want, to, Oh my God. I, I had a, without getting too much on a, you know, rant yeah. in the beginning, because I was learning from teachers from the lineage and mm -hmm. I was studying these very traditional uh, yogic uh, modal. I don't even want to say modalities, this, this yogic, um, philosophy. Mm. Anytime I would see like <laughs> yoga, beer, yoga, or yoga mm -hmm. and whatever, you know, insert whatever activity, I would get so triggered by that. I'm like, what mm. are they? What is the, why, why are they doing that? You know? Mm. And over time, I started to really relinquish that within myself and, and feel, mm -hmm. well, if this is a doorway for them as an opportunity, it, it might be an opportunity for them to then go deeper into the practice and to maybe go deeper and, and to learn something if, if this is their doorway in, but there has to be that awareness. There mm -hmm. has to be an awareness of this is drawing me in. Where does it come from? Who's teaching mm -hmm. it? And how can I actually practice the design for which this, this beautiful ancient knowledge mm -hmm. of wisdom was designed to create, mm -hmm. right? 
Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I think it's such an important kind of place of reflection and inquiry. I love what your book's going to be about because, uh, you know, the two criteria for cultural appropriation are power, power imbalance. And the second one is harm. And so when we're talking about power imbalance, we're talking about like a dominant culture. You know, when we think of who do you see when you think of a yoga space, um, we can name like it's usually white, cisgendered, thin, able-bodied, people with class privilege, right? That's who's centered. That's the norm. And who is left out? Often young people or elderly people or older people, people of different body sizes, different body abilities, maybe people with traumatic brain injuries, veterans, um, you know, BIPOC folks. And can all those other people benefit from yoga? Absolutely. Right. So, um, so when we're talking about power, it's who has the power, who is centered one addressing that connecting to that. And then two harm. And in the case of like beer yoga or goat yoga or vino and, and vinyasa, there is that, that argument that I hear a lot of, it can bring people in and, and I'll, that is true. And there, I understand that, but the second piece is the harm to the source culture is in general, our teachers, um, my teachers in particular, and also generally Vedic and other yogic teachers, and just like Hindu and Indian culture, doesn't pair alcohol with spiritual practice. It's just not done. And it's considered disrespectful. And so on that level, people are like, oh, that's painful. Like, it's confusing, you know, and painful. Yeah. And, and so I often just ask, you know, people to think about, well, if you're going to do that, can you at least point people in the direction of how they can learn more, how they can go deeper? Um, I personally am sober intentionally as part of my spiritual practice and my path. And so, um, so it also, in that sense, I feel like it can cause harm that way, but I hear that perspective, right? So it's nuanced and, and there's depth there and there's things for people to explore. I also have a, a resource. It's like a checklist of how you know if you're appropriating or not. People always want to know, like, can yes. I get a tattoo? Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's in the book. I know it's in the book. And, and you know, ultimately, again, like, you've got to really do the, the critical thinking and the exploration. And the quick and dirty answer is, uh, one, is, it, is there a power balance? And two, is it causing harm? Well, if you walk through India with a tattoo of a sacred deity or a sacred symbol or an om symbol on your ankle, people will be really upset and it actually may not be safe. Uh, for that, right? So we can start to go move towards like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I should consider the culture that this teaching or wisdom or practice is coming from as I deepen in my own relationship to it. And just because it's meaningful to me doesn't mean I get to do whatever I want with it. Mm -hmm. And so those would be the, the beginnings of that answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing, right? Because yeah. I, I, I can, I totally hear that, that, you know, different things. I, I grew up in an environment where wearing a certain color in the wrong neighborhood can get mm. you killed, you know? Yeah. So I, I understand that even at that level, there was a, a time, uh, there's a, one of my first times in a yoga studio here in LA, uh, where I went to, 
take class. Mm-hmm. I walked in and, you know, I was a little bit uncomfortable because I, I didn't ever, you know, I I'd learned about, uh, the yoga sutras of Patanjali. And mm-hmm. I had read autobiography of a yogi mount, uh, countless times and, you know, still a teenager. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, maybe I need to go and do the physical asana. It's part of the eight limbs. Like I need to go and have this experience. And I walk into the studio and there was uh, a, a, a yogi practitioner and, and she was wearing a shirt that said, yoga is so gangster. And I was like, Mm. I was like, okay, okay. In my mind, I did the internal eye roll because I'm like, Mm. uh, of the environment I grew up in. I'm like, "Mm, I don't, I don't know that that, I don't know that that correlates. Um, and of course, because I'm like, bro, you, you do not know what gangster is. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm just like, I grew up in an environment where, it wasn't cool to be a gangster. Like you, you were afraid of gangs and gang violence, but I, I just took a moment to really just sort of acknowledge that, you know, that, that difference, the, what is it called? The, the cognitive dissonance that happened in that moment. And, and that always just stayed with me. This episode is brought to you by FitTrack's Dara Smart Scale. Here's a really sad truth. We've all been sold a lie by the weight loss industry that weight equals health. The number on the scale has become so powerful that it defines how people feel and think about themselves. But that's not an accurate reflection of true health. That's why we love using FitTrack's Dara Smart Scale. Since we started our 75 days of wellness, I've noticed such a huge difference when I step on the scale. FitTrack's Dara Smart Scale is one of the most accurate home smart scales in the world. It measures 17 different body compositions, which gives you a more accurate picture of your health and body. The best part about FitTrack is that you can easily track and trend your health over time and see how your daily choices ranging from exercise to diet, how all of it affects your health in the bigger picture. One of the things that I really enjoy is how the Dara Smart Scale syncs with the free FitTrack app. All of my health insights are saved in one place. I highly recommend this to track your body changes. So stop measuring weight and start measuring health with FitTrack. Go to fittrack.com forward slash loved to take 50% off of your order. Plus, for a limited time, you'll also save an additional 30% off with the code BUILD30 at checkout. That's F-I-T-T-R-A-C-K dot com forward slash loved to save 50% off plus get an additional 30% off of your order with the code BUILD30 at checkout. Don't miss out on this amazing limited time offer. FitTrack.com forward slash loved with the code BUILD30 at checkout. Help support our show by supporting our sponsors. Thanks for listening. Stress, sleep, recovery, whether we're at home or at work, these things shape how we perform. And just because I'm a yoga and meditation teacher doesn't mean that I don't experience these same bouts of stress. One thing I've added to my daily ritual and it's helped make a noticeable difference for me is New Calm. With New Calm, you can get the power and control to relax and recharge anywhere and anytime. The New Calm system uses cutting edge neuroscience and consists of three non-invasive and non-pharmaceutical items, 
all of which are included in your monthly subscription that costs less than a daily cup of coffee. The whole process is easy to use and to work into your daily ritual to achieve better sleep, reduce stress, and boost your recovery. So do what I did, own the day with Nucom. We have a special link set up specifically for our listeners. Go to lovednucom.com and get 50% off of your 30-day subscription of Nucom and their money-back guarantee. That's loved, L-O-V-E-D, newcom.com, N-U-C-A-L-M.com. That's lovednucom, N-U-C-A-L-M.com to get 50% off of your 30-day subscription plus their money-back guarantee. And now back to our show. You know, so I'm, I'm curious for you, like, what about, you know, these, you're talking about tattoos and different things, and I'm sure you talk about it in the book, but like mm. when people write these types of terms on t-shirts mm-hmm. or, do you know what I mean? I totally do. Yeah. Um, it's really offensive, right? Like I'll just, it's really offensive and, and um, harmful to so many hundreds of thousands and millions of people to have like the namaste um, or, you know, like namaste in bed. It's also a mispronunciation because it's actually namaste, not namaste the way that often you hear people kind of sing song at the end of class. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a whole master class, like a free workshop people can take about when and where to use namaste like is it appropriate is it appropriate to use it at the end Um, because it's one huge example of a disconnect in in cultural connect you know relevance and relationship so definitely I think it's like just being aware right just be aware and we can't be aware of everything so the other thing i want to normalize is i'm not asking and other south asians aren't asking people to be perfect but we are asking you to try right and when you know better you can do better like maya angelou says and so um so i think it's really important to to like research a little or learn a little about the culture from where the practice comes and that way you can avoid being offensive or doing harm. And yeah. we recently saw like Cardi B did this and then was like so apologetic. Uh, and we're not all going to get it, you know, but if we're using something from another culture, it's, it's our job to try to be, try to be thoughtful and respectful about it. Yeah. What, what's your feeling as for me as a yoga teacher, uh, you know, like saying that to me, it, it has such a brevity. There's not, it's not just like, oh, I'm, I'm a yoga teacher. Like when I say I, I teach yoga, like it's, it's a big responsibility. It's not just, I teach yoga asana because that's physical instruction. You're teaching an exercise class, right? Being a yoga teacher is implicit that you understand and you know the tradition and you know where it came from and you know that you're um, teaching these yogic philosophies in an honorable way. Um, How do you feel about people that aren't South Asian using Sanskrit? Mm, Yeah. I mean, I first want to say, I love what you just said about like like part of our responsibility as yoga teachers is to learn and and go into the depth of what it is to 
to really relate to yoga itself and be almost like a vessel for yoga as it moves through us. And that's so important. And I think sometimes we forget and we get focused on, I see yoga teachers focused on different things like filling their classes, which is important too, but the experience of what they're giving when they teach, you know, and continually being a student is so key. And I, one of the reasons I started teaching teacher trainings in Los Angeles was when I was living there was I saw so many teachers graduating from yoga teacher trainings, YTTs they're called, and they were graduating and they didn't know the Sanskrit for the names of the poses. They didn't know the philosophy, um, which sounds like you had a really wonderful experience where you learned some of that depth and they didn't really know that yoga wasn't just something you did with your body. Uh, And so I thought, wow, you know, I'd been in India, studied with practitioners, teachers who had come out of caves after 10 years of deep practice, spent my own time in long meditation retreats. Not to say, again, that I was a realized being, I'm not a realized being, I'm a teacher, you know, and an educator. But I knew that I had something to offer that I wasn't seeing around me. And it really my job was to say, like, use the language. You know, when you think about preservation of a culture, its story, its language, its practice, its ritual. And so I really do think yoga teachers everywhere should learn Sanskrit, should learn the pose names, the shape names in Sanskrit. I'm not saying you have to speak them out loud because I understand that, you know, one, people may be like getting used to the mm-hmm. Sanskrit. It might, they might be learning. Two, you might be in a situation where you can't or it just doesn't click with your, um, with your community. But I do believe yoga teachers should understand the Sanskrit and know it in their minds. You know, when they're teaching t- like tree pose, they should be thinking or be able to know that's Rikshasana, right? Um, and then two, start to work it in. Like even when I teach preschool students, I'll work in, okay, we're going to read a book about, you know, this kindness and then do some movement. And I'll later weave in. So this is a concept in yoga called ahimsa. Ahimsa means harm, uh, not not harming. You know, how did you see the penguin practicing ahimsa in, in the story, you know, and these little kids, they can get it and they get it so much that even months or even years later, I've had conversations with some of them and they're like, miss, because I was like, why didn't you do, you know, like this kid did this mean thing. How come you didn't do anything back? They're like, miss, <laughs> the power of Ahimsa. And I remember that happening and I was just floored. I was like, okay, so if a two and three-year-old can understand yogic philosophy, there's really no reason why as adults, we can't be seeding in little bits and pieces of this in the classes that we teach. And if we're not comfortable doing that, then that's a great indicator to look back and say, well, what do I need to do so I can learn more? So I'm more in authentic, you know, integrity with the practice in my own life, that I understand the stories, I understand the values, and I can start to, to share that more fully. Yeah. Oh, that's, Beautiful. I love that. So I love that so much. Um, So for the people that are listening to this right now, uh, there's a lot of people who are uh, interested in yoga or listen to this because they know I'm a yoga teacher or they are just curious. Maybe some of them even want to um, 
learn more or just want to know where they can start? Where can they start so that they feel more empowered in what they're doing and they feel like they're also empowering others, especially the people in um, whose tradition this this is, you know, the, the yeah. yoga tradition at its core. Yeah, and I just want to say, I'm actually... It's funny because even though I talk about this stuff all the time, you're like, hold on, let me check what I like, let me look what I said. I really been I'm in this place and you're, you're going to be there too. It's so great where you can like look at your book and be like, right. Okay. So even if I just look at the, the table of contents, there's four sections. There's like separation, which is a lot of what we've been talking about. Yes. Reflection, our part in it. Then there's reconnection, like yogis and healing justice, yogis and providing platforms. So being collaborative and that way we were talking about lifting up other other yoga teachers particularly teachers of color mm -hmm. and um deep listening speaking up talking to reluctant friends or studios right like talk to people sit down and and really the biggest thing there i would say is like not like hey why do you have that statue you know on the foot like the place where we put our shoes or you know why are you playing Sanskrit mantra and Hindu mantra, but you don't even know what it means. Like more like, Hey, I'm really curious about this. I'd love to know more. What does it mean to you? You know, and engaging from that place of people listening, can't see me, but I'm like holding up my hands, opposing each other. But instead, like I'm putting both hands on the same side. It's like, we're working together, moving together. No one wants to be told they're wrong or, or, yeah. what, you know, and so I always try to just connect and be like, what does this mean to you? And have you considered, you know, another way to do it or that this might land this way? Yeah. Um, and then there's a whole section on liberation, which is like really the part that goes back into the practice, like yoga ethics, deeply, deeply studying the eightfold, like the, the eight limbs, but even more than the eight limbs, it's like, for me, it kind of all boils down to the yamas and niyamas. And for the last 15 years, I've had kind of like a study group that meets and every week we take a different yama, like nonviolence, ahimsa, satya, truth, asteya, non-stealing uh, or generosity, parigraha, non-attachment or letting go, and brahmacharya, energy management. And each week we reflect, we read a little about it. We reflect on how it's showing up in our lives and we learn from listening to one another. And that, I can't tell you like how much deeper my practice has gotten from that, you know, and just yeah. continuing to show up in that way. So definitely all of those things, you know, sometimes we're more inclined to like do the outward actions and sometimes we need to do the inward or both at the same time. But wherever people are at, you know, take that first step, take that. Next yeah. Step. Yeah. And so, and what about for the people? And I don't know if you've encountered this, that where people are, uh, you know, educating themselves more and maybe they are, they hear you or they are told from someone else that they shouldn't be teaching or that they shouldn't be doing something like, what do you say to the people that are really scared because now they don't want to offend and they are like, oh, I can't be a yoga teacher anymore or I can't mm -hmm. practice anymore because this doesn't belong to my culture or to me? You know, in a way, I don't hear that as much, I will say. Um, and I do actually really appreciate it when I hear 
that perspective because what that tells me is a really like tuning into um tuning into what we're saying like it's literally the very site of our ancestral wisdom and we as south asian people desi people have almost been erased like it's mm-hmm. like i think my book is one of, it's like two percent of books on yoga that are written by south asian women like so few right and when you think about yoga studios yoga teachers festivals you barely see a brown face and and rarely a south asian face and so people who are like, I can't do this. It's like, okay, I feel seen. I feel heard. And then I would say, well, okay, how might you move forward in a way that you are giving reparations? You know, there's a whole list, um, again, a free list of resources to de- like donate to in India here. Um, how can you give back to the communities from which this practice has come? How can you uplift other teachers? And then again, no one can decide for you what, what's the best thing, um, but like being in solidarity and maybe turning into your personal practice is a, is a really beautiful choice at that, at that moment. Uh, the other thing I've, I have experienced from the few people who've said that is it's been so amazing to see, like I, I think of them as accomplices, um, not just allies, is how much support they give, like to some of my colleagues, like Dejal and Jaisal, who run Yoga is Dead podcast, or um, or uh, just other projects that are created by South Asian folks. ABCD Yogi is another one, and they're white allies and accomplices who are like, "What can I do? How can I help?" And that goes so far because, again, like in the places where we're just not getting centered, someone's like, "Oh, can I?" reach out to these different organizations. Can I help, you know, whatever, like help you out in organizing this or that. And that goes a long way. And there are those key people who are like using their privilege back to power and, you know, harm. They're using their privilege to literally do the opposite of cultural appropriation, which is like cultural healing, or maybe we could say appreciation, which is flipping the power dynamic and using their power to do the opposite of harm, which is like sharing power and uplifting. So if it's power and harm, they're really sharing power and rather than harming, being generous and uplifting. And that is so appreciated and and is actually still quite rare. Oh, well, hopefully we can continue to just, you know, do our part in the education process and, and hope that more people are more aware. Yeah. Yeah. So for the people that are listening to this, I I literally have like so many more questions for you. I'm just like, (laughs) um, for the people that are listening to this, um, writing a book is such an arduous process right now. So I just want to take a second to just acknowledge the fact that you did it and that you self-published, which is an even bigger deal. Uh, I don't think people understand how big of a deal it is to actually self-publish and the work that it takes. I know because I did all the research for it because that's what Mm -hmm. I was going to do. And I just, I think it's, it's such a huge feat and, and thank you for creating a place where you put all of your knowledge and, Mm -hmm. and wisdom into one place so that we can, we can learn and we can continue to uh, embrace yoga's roots. No pun intended. Um, I'm like little, little shameless plug for the book. 
what do you think is, hmm, maybe let me reframe that. How do you see yoga evolving Hmm. in the next, in the next few years? Like, what is your vision for yoga and, and the yoga community? Yeah. You know, I think we're at this real crisis point with studios closing and people questioning what they're doing. And uh, also, you know, like as a community in general, globally, there's so much anxiety, there's so much stress, there's so much grief. And so in this time of suffering, I know for myself, turning into the practice and like steadying myself, you know, really yoga is here to help us. And, and recently I've been experiencing this, like find my footing, find my ground, connect back to my breath, feel my power. And so a yoga that speaks to the times, right. That's going into communities and places, whether in person or online, where there is so much suffering and just like not being about, you know, $20 classes or Lululemons or this or that, but like really being of service to our soul's calls. Like, what is this about? Why the heck are we alive in the middle of a global pandemic? Like what, you know, this was not in the, in the plan, you know, and, and here we are and so many plans that probably many of you listening, like certainly mine completely squashed and, and then like loss of friends and family, like it's just been a heart-wrenching time. And I think true yoga actually can show up for us and, and be a support and be a, a life raft and an anchor to help us navigate that. Um, not into the life that maybe we thought we were going to have, but into the one being really present with the one that we're in, in a way that we can like taste the joy and, and not have to erase the sadness that we can hold it all. Um, and that I think is like going to come through diversity of teachers, seeing teachers of all different body types, experiences, trans teachers, you know, um, teachers from, all different backgrounds, you know, and and class status and all of these things that where previously it was very exclusive, making it more of a inclusive and um, accessible kind of practice. And and I see, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll have like a yoga teacher, like a true yoga teacher though, like an authentic yoga teacher in every apartment building, on every block, like in every community. And and when I say that, I don't mean yoga asana teacher. I mean, like someone who just shows up in their community and looks around and is like, oh, okay, right now my yoga is helping build a community garden so we can create a little more food security in, in this, you know, neighborhood that I'm in. Oh, right now, my yoga is like creating a grief and healing circle for folks who've lost people due to COVID, you know, or, okay, right now my work, my yoga is um, maybe bringing some breathing practices into this gang truce conversation, right? And so we can actually move through it without like hitting a, a peak breaking point. There's so many ways that the practice I think can show up that, that we just haven't tapped and that we're moving into tapping, but, um, but I'm excited to see, to see all that, um, as we grow with it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is such a beautiful vision. I I pray that 
it will happen because that's definitely the world that I want to live in. Um, Susanna, you are so incredible and I'm so, so grateful that we were finally able to have this conversation. I think it's an important conversation to have. Uh, We would love to have you on again, if you'll have us and um, for the people listening, uh, if they want more information about you or where they can, they can train with you or where they can get your book, where can they go for more information? Yes. My name, um, is my website. So Susanna Barkataki and.com. And you, if you put Susanna Barkataki slash book, you'll see info about the book. And there's also YTT training course on there. And then also I do a lot of instigation. I like to think of it that way on Instagram, like asking questions, like, can we have a decolonized yoga retreat? What would that look like? You know, and really engaging with the community in a way that gets us all thinking like, what would a decolonized yoga playlist look like? Um, and, and so if people want to follow me on, on Instagram, that's another great way I love to connect. I don't do DMS, um, in terms of education though. So I always like to be clear. I'm more, will engage in the comments on posts. Okay. Got it. So engage in comments. Don't DM her is really what she's saying. Don't DM me for, yeah. Like, like the reason why is diversity equity, you know, people who educate in this field, like, I can't tell you how many DMs I get that are like, Susanna, I can do this or, you know, and and I'm happy to answer those things publicly so other people can learn. Um, But like, yeah, like on here, this has been great. I love talking to you and I love, love what you're doing and how you're like radically authentically in the world. Oh, Susanna, you're the best. Thank you so much. So I, I have one final question and it's the reason why I created this podcast is because I believe that we live in a place where the universe works for us and not against us. And that we are at our core radically loved by Mm -hmm. God source presence, nature, whatever your higher power understanding is, we are supported. So the final question to you is how do you feel radically loved? Hmm. Hmm. I feel radically loved all the time now. And I just take a breath and in the inhale and in the exhale, I look around me. And if you would like, I invite folks to do this just look around you, noticing where you are. If you're outside, maybe the trees or the sky, if you're inside the walls, the building, the chairs, like there's so much conspiring for our growth, our joy, our uplift. And I often through the day, just take a moment. I'm like, wow, there is so much like loving me up and supporting me. And so um, that, that for me is a practice of dharana of mindfulness of the love and the support all around i love that thank you so so much we can't wait to read your book and we will put all the links to uh, get in touch with you in the show notes of this particular episode as well as all of your social media handles so if you're listening to this go to the info button and make sure that you follow Susanna on there and order her book And I, again, I'm so honored to have had you on. Thank you so much for your patience and for all the work that you're doing to just bring more awareness to such an incredibly transformative practice, belief, philosophy. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much, Rosie. I can't wait for your book too. Ah! (laughs) 
Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.